I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on a day when we have a new Grand Slam champion crowned. We knew we were going to get one of those anyway, because they were both debutants in a Grand Slam final, Madison Keys and Sloane Stephens, but it is Sloane Stephens who has won the title here. Myself, David Law, alongside Simon Briggs of The Telegraph, we've witnessed this final. Not a classic, I think it's fair to say, Simon. 6-3, 6-love. That's to take nothing away from Sloane Stevens, who looks like looked as though on the court, as, at least, as though she'd been doing this all her life. But afterwards, she was, I, I put it, endearingly clueless about what you do because she'd never lifted a trophy on a grand scale like that before. But heck of a performance from her. Let's start with that. Yeah, I was thinking... Uh I mean, if we say it was a rubbish final, then we might be accused of, uh, I don't know, being uh, gender biased. But actually, we've had two rubbish finals in slams in a row, haven't we? (laughs) It wasn't so different in its tone from Federer versus Chilich at Wimbledon. It was just so one-sided. And the thing was that Keyes was very, very nervous. And presumably, she probably wasn't totally mobile. She had her left thigh heavily strapped, didn't she? And she did, if you remember, in the semi-final, she pulled up, didn't she? I think 6-1, 4-1 up in that semi. She pulled up and went off the court, had it strapped and came back on. She said it was sort of a precaution because she could feel it going. And, yeah, I mean, she's had problems like that before. So I would say she probably wasn't 100%, but I don't think that was the only story. Yeah, I think she freaked out uh, big, big style. I mean... Chris Everett, I was listening to her on ESPN, I think it was Chris Everett who said that, you know, it's um, in some ways it's easier for a player who is a percentages player to go into a massive match like that than somebody who is a power uh, hitter uh, and, and, a, and a killer of the ball just because, you know, the, the, the rhythm of just, just popping the ball back, which is what all Sloan did with the first few games, is easier to reproduce under that kind of pressure. And Sloan then did grow into the match and began to play some fine tennis. But it was maybe disappointing that she didn't have a chance to measure herself against somebody else who was you know, playing on a, on a level that could compete with her. But obviously, you know, bagel set, second set. Um, yeah, I think that, that first it was 6-3 because Sloan was just fine and Madison was awful. And then 6-love, second set because Madison was still pretty awful. But Sloan was now really playing very, very well as well. So Clever match player, isn't she? She knows how to put the ball in difficult positions for opponent, for power opponents like like Keys. I, I saw them play a few uh, I think maybe a year ago just over a year ago and and Stevens 
produced a similar kind of performance just this just sort of carved keys up you know put it in horrible places and and she ended up beating herself but Stevens I, I thought that was just a masterclass really for a, a first time finalist to produce a, a composed performance like that it felt like she was really in the zone didn't she um, I think two unforced areas in the first set she and then she tried to do a bit more second set um, but perhaps because she just feeling so good and, and everything she tried pretty much came off and and the volleying was particularly sweet, wasn't it? I think she didn't lose the point of the net. Every time the ball went to her, she found exactly the right uh, position to, to, to kind of the angle to, to just move it away out, out of Madison's reach. Uh, and it's not as if I remember her being a particularly uh, net-rushing player. So I, I think she must just have been having one of those days. Yeah, I think she felt it well off the racket from the very first ball. Keys. I mean, look, it was 2-2. It wasn't like uh, she just ran away with it from the very start, but she she pulled away. And it was quite interesting. I, I wasn't commentating on the match. I was out in the crowd to get little inserts into the five live coverage. And, and it was noticeable that the atmosphere was a little strange because because it's two Americans, two, two young Americans who are making their breakthrough. And I, I interviewed a couple of, of the fans and... That one was supporting Keys, one was supporting Stevens, but the general gist was we don't really mind who wins, you know. We just feel absolutely delighted that there's two Americans. But there wasn't an edge in the crowd at all. It was just yeah, it was jolly, really. But it, but that in itself is not, not really what you expect in a grandstand final. You expect one one of the players to really have the support. Yeah, I guess the last two uh, women's finals have been thrilling, haven't they? Um, at the Flams. And uh now this tournament just has a slight sense that it could drain away to a slightly underwhelming conclusion because there's a possibility that we could see something similar happening tomorrow in the men's final as a possibility. I wouldn't imagine that if, if that happens, it'll be Rafa who loses. <laughs> Let's put it like that. No. The, the other thing is, I think, that contributes to the atmosphere is that neither neither Keyes or Stevens are... Certainly Stevens isn't a demonstrative player in celebration of shots the way that Nadal is. I mean, not, not many people are, frankly. And, and also, uh, Kevin Anderson's suddenly become the, uh, the elongated South African version of Nadal with his celebrations as well. So I think that that probably makes it a little more difficult sometimes for, for a crowd to, to really get going with a, with a player who is focused and so forth. But there was real warmth towards... Stevens as a champion at the end I, I felt from the crowd and when the two players hugged at the net that was that was one of the most notable moments of affection between two players in a final that I think I've ever seen it was the, it was the longest hug I've ever seen at a net yeah I think and, and there was a strong uh, swell of, of comment on Twitter and everyone said well that was the best moment of the match <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, and that's what everyone will remember from this. And there was a lot of emotion. I mean, and I must say that while um, the, the tennis might not have been top level, the uh, the interviews were great, weren't they? And uh, the the way that they they can express so much warmth for each other, and they they put it so beautifully. And then there was a nice little bit of uh, of interplay with the check, wasn't there? As uh, uh, Sloan Stevens did seem to be genuinely shocked to be getting a, ch- a check for more than three and a half million dollars, and I'm not, I'm not surprised. I actually was shocked the other day. When I looked it up, I was like, wow. I mean, I, I sort of feel like when I started doing this about seven years ago, we were looking at sort of one million pounds 
Well, it's uh, it's certainly basically doubled over the last decade. Um, it's an it is an extraordinary sum of money, and Keys will get effectively half that. You know, so mm. she's not exactly walking away with a pittance. Um, just in terms of going forward for for Stevens and Keys, I mean, could you imagine this being a final that we're talking about at other Grand Slams in years to come? Do you think that this could be a rivalry? Uh, yeah, I do, but at the same time, you've got to say that it's been a very unpredictable year on the women's tour again. We've had four different slam champions. I think it's been a pretty good year on the women's tour. I mean, I think there have been years when there has, uh, you know, there have been questions about what the entertainment quality has been like. I think overall, there have been some excellent matches, and it's, and it's definitely punched on, the, on an equal quality with the men's game this year, uh, if not been better overall in the slams. Um, so... You know, we've had Ostapenko come out of nowhere. We've had Muguruza make the move that suggests that she might become a regular uh, rankings leader. But, ooh, I mean... Fascinating, actually. I, I've quite enjoyed that element to this year. The, these new players coming, in some ways, from left field. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, what was it, 11 months ago? Sloane Stephens was 900 and something in the world. Yeah, I mean... it. That's a slightly. It's, it's good. It's good value that whole angle. You know, we all knew. From it's injury early, based, don't yeah, it? Yeah, we all knew from an early date that she was capable of doing something really special. What's interesting, perhaps, is that there is perhaps this trend in tennis at the moment that long breaks have been beneficial for a lot of players, men's and women's. Uh, it's a question of not getting getting your body right, getting rid of those really chronic niggles, but also seeing the world outside, perhaps. And and she said, in, and just on the ESPN now, that uh, she was sort of just enjoying life so much and she's come back looking less stressed on the court uh, and very um, sort of living in the moment isn't she that, that, that was the, the, the difference between them today Madison came out clearly thinking about what was on, on the line there and, and Sloane just seemed to be going with it didn't she yeah no I, I'd, I'd agree with that it, in terms of the, the some players have, have an appeal for, for column inches etc Stevens has got something, hasn't she? I mean, not just being an excellent tennis player. She's she's quirky. She's she's quite good fun. I, I mean, not not all the time. I think sometimes she can go into automated mode in in one inter one interview after another. Well, I was watching them out here yesterday in preview of the final, which I can kind of understand. Sometimes they don't want to bother, but she's got a bit of a sense of humour, and I suspect that that will appeal. She suddenly had a lot of questions. Like, I was looking last night at the transcript of Rafa's. Uh, post-match interview after his semi-final he was asked six questions of which not a single one was about Anderson and then, and then, then I looked at the um, it was very late I mean I, to defend uh, my brethren we, we, we were kind of we were kind of pretty exhausted at this stage it was, it was getting towards the small hours but anyway um, the, the Sloane Stevens interview after the semi-final there must have been 30 questions you know the, the, there is definitely an X factor here the American writers have been loving her whole story. They've been loving Madison's too, but I think out of the two of them, yes, I think uh, maybe Sloane is the one with the X factor. I mean, she's, uh, she's got an interesting sporting pedigree. Her father was a, a star running back in the NFL. And she, I mean, on the, on the TV, it was funny, Cliff Drysdale just kept on saying, look at her feet, look at her feet. Because she has, a, I don't know, I think we, we spoke about the elasticity of, of a Federer uh, and, and, and a Halep. And, and Sloane Stevens has that, those kind of footballer's legs doesn't she she just glides you don't seem to be uh, watching somebody in a hurry and then suddenly she's at the ball she's ahead of the ball she's in position and, and today she was pushing it um, up the line for a winner 
also she, she's sort of had that full start hasn't she of reaching a semi-final at the Australian Open four years ago beating Serena everybody saying this is the next big thing and then frankly it just not happening for about three years and really her whole commitment to the game being quite significantly questioned now yeah she's delivered absolutely delivered as as much as you can um and it's yeah it's a great story for for, for her uh, i do think it was a disappointing final but well, what can you do? It's over now. Uh, we've got the men's final tomorrow. Before we get on to that, we've had uh, a quite astonishing wheelchair singles semi-final between Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid of Scotland, in which both players had multiple match points. It was three hours and two minutes long, and I don't quite know how, but Alfie Hewitt managed to win. So he's into the final of the wheelchair singles. The two of them are also in the final of the wheelchair doubles as a team. So a couple of great stories that have been going on earlier today. Uh, We've also had Jamie Murray and Martina Hingis winning the mixed doubles Simon Briggs and uh, I mean there, there used to be a saying wasn't there that what's the best doubles team in the world John McEnroe and anybody <laughs> and and, I, and I'm not trying to do Jamie Murray a disservice at all because he's an excellent doubles player but there is the feeling that Martina Hingis is the best doubles player on the planet yeah, I think she could, um, either gender, I, I, yeah. any age. She probably could come and ask you to play mixed doubles, and you'd have a shot, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, let's be realistic. So, I mean, she, she, the match point was an absolute belter because they got into a mess, having won the first set six-one. Um, Murray and, and Hingis, they got into a mess. Jamie lost his serve twice in a row. Second set, managed to lose it. Went, went it was eight all at one point, I think, in the, in the uh, champion side. But we're having to move backwards here because. Because Sloane Stevens is holding the cup about uh, t- 10 metres away from us. And uh, we're in the shot, yeah, apparently. We, we, we so like- uh, Sloane Stevens is shooing us out of the way. So, <laughs> Briggs, that's a bit of a turn up for the tennis broadcast, isn't it? And there we are. That's what she's doing. She's standing next to Justin Gimmelstubb, showing off yeah. her, her very silvery, shiny trophy. Yeah, and we've yeah. been told to get, get lost, basically. I think she's earned shoeing rights. Yes, I think so. So Jamie Murray and Martina Hingis, it, it was close, so, close yeah, four, so, wasn't so, it? So, so we're, we're at eight all. And then I think um, did we get a nine eight. And then the, the point was it's match point. And Venus, Michael Venus, is serving to Hingis. Uh, and backhand return up the line followed by another another backhand up the line it was just irresistible and, and it, so this was basically a singles point between Michael Venus and Martina Hingis and she dominated him <laughs> and, that's, I mean, and that's how good she is she's a wonderful player to watch I mean I think she's too lightweight and obviously she's 36 years of age now so she, she'd be limited in what she could do in singles I'm sure because of movement etc but still one of the great players to watch and it's, it's cool that she's still out there playing doubles and good for Jamie Murray. How many is that he won now? It's about five slams isn't it? Mixed and doubles? Five slams and then he, uh, he entered the debate about uh, remuneration <laughs> we're going back to the, uh, the 3.65 is it 3.65 3.7 yeah, million so. for Sloan so uh, they got 150,000 between the two of them I think. Crikey that is an extraordinary difference isn't it? I mean <laughs> they did sit them on pretty early in the day it was, a, it was a good crowd out there but that does seem very low doesn't it? Well still more than they got at Wimbledon because they got a uh, £100,000 between the two of them at Wimbledon uh, I guess part of that's due to the exchange rate and uh, Brexit. Um, but um, there's still uh, a case to be made that uh, mixed doubles is a little bit on the low side. But basically you get as much money for not winning a singles match here, almost, as you do for winning the mixed doubles. 
Yeah, I mean, I look, I suppose the, the argument all tournaments would make is who's buying a ticket and paying broadcast rights for the mixed doubles, and the, the answer is probably no, not many. But that that having been said, people love doubles, don't they? When they come to a slam and the and the and the mixed doubles, they do watch. I mean, and if you get a British player doing well, say at Wimbledon, BBC TV, BBC Radio, we 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 broadcast it. Well, I've got a, a theory on this, which is if you think about a 100-metre sprint and then a 4 by 100 relay, which is the more fun to watch? 4 by 100 Right. And just the same, a doubles match is usually more fun to watch than a singles match. But who remembers the 4 by 100 team that wins? That's a fair point. Because... Star quality. Well, no, I think it's, it's the simplicity of you are the best 100-metre runner in the world just beats uh, the complexity of a team in a running race. And in the same uh, way, finding out who is the best tennis player in the world has a grip, a simplicity, and, and a symbolism which can't be equated on the tennis court um, uh, in doubles. But if you think about it, the actual entertainment, the raw entertainment, is greater in doubles. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph with the theories here on the Tennis Podcast. I like that. And, I, and I, yeah, I think you, you bang on. Now, men's final tomorrow. Kevin Anderson against Rafael Nadal. We spoke about it a, a little yesterday. We've had Kevin Anderson in to do his pre-tournament press conference today. It's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, it's all new to, to him and to Sloane Stephens to do this kind of thing. You know, day off, you would think, before the final. But no, he's got to come in and talk to everybody. And his wife produced this photo of Nadal and Kevin Anderson, who are both the same age, uh, from when they were, what, 12 years old, 14, something like that. Real little kids standing there having played a final together. Uh, it, they've gone on obviously very different paths, but it's quite cool, really, to find them in a final together like this. Well, I mean, he's, um, he's been a much slower developer, of course. One of them has gone to one extreme of being a Grand Slam champion at 19. The other one went to university, which is generally seen as, as the plan B for guys who aren't going to make it big. Um, and a great advert for that, that slower route. I mean, it, as with Sloan's uh, whole time away from the game, it goes to show that sometimes it's better to get a broader view of life um, for some people. If you're not a, if you're not, if you're not a sort of a meteor, um, and and uh, you don't see too many people. Not even Denis Shapovalov was probably going to win a slam at 19. I was. No, I mean that's that really Nadal is set apart. Him and Becker and, and Chang. You know, there's not many of them. Certainly on the men's side. So could could you imagine this being a better match than what we've witnessed today? Do you think it'll be closer? Do you think that Anderson will make this competitive? I'm I'm pretty. Uh, unclear in my mind what's going to happen but I think there's a significant chance it might be similar. Well he's 4-0 in head-to-heads is Nadal against Anderson but this is the new Anderson this is the Anderson who fist pumps every single time he wins a point so we'll see whether that makes any difference whatsoever. Uh, Simon lovely to have you with us on the tennis podcast as always. Yeah, it's been been fun I, I'm beginning to feel the uh, the pace I feel like there's been a relay race itself. 
it, and, it's, I, and, I, and I'm ready to hand the baton over. It is interesting, isn't it, that this particular Grand Slam? I mean, yeah, we all do. I mean, Catherine Whittig, you may be wondering where she is today. She's not very well, unfortunately. Somehow she's managed to carry out her TV duties for Eurosport just about. But, yeah, she's not very well. So send her your best wishes. Uh, and uh, she sends her apologies for not being on the show today and yesterday. We'll try and see if she can come on tomorrow. But if not, anyway, she, she certainly is thinking of all of you. Uh, and uh, Simon and I are just holding the ship afloat <laughs> and sort of propping <laughs> up against a wall. a bit of water coming in, I think. <laughs> we are actually now leaning against a wall, just trying to stay uh, stay upright because it has been quite a tiring week. A good fun week, though, uh, a fortnight, in fact. And uh, we have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Go and read Simon's articles. Watch the final on Eurosport tomorrow. It'll be live coverage starting at 8.30pm UK time. I'll also be on BBC Radio 5 Live. We'll have live coverage too we'll then have a tennis podcast after play thanks for your company we'll speak to you soon a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.